What we're going to do is I'm going to take a few moments just to look at uh, the passage that was read for us, Matthew chapter 2. I know that people have got uh, turkeys in the oven and presents under the tree, so we're not going to take too long, just about 15, 20 minutes, just to think about uh, this passage that Nigel read for us from Matthew chapter 2. And kids, I'm going to need a little bit of help from you guys as we go through, so do listen. If you can see a Bible, that would be great. And in particular, I wonder if anyone noticed, boys and girls, the deliberate mistake that Nigel made earlier in the service when he was introducing the reading. Did anyone notice the mistake that he made? People racking their brains. Not sure, not sure. Joe? He may, he may have said that. That wasn't a deliberate mistake. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, if, if, if you uh, had listened earlier, uh, when Nigel introduced the passage, he said that we were going to have a reading about three kings. And we sang that song about three kings. Now, every good EK kid, there's clearly none of them here this morning, but every good EK kid knows that in the Christmas story, there are not three kings, right? First of all, the people who bring the gifts are probably wise men rather than kings, probably astronomers. And also, there probably weren't three of them. They brought three gifts, but there were probably more. But what we're going to do this morning, as we look at this passage, is we're going to see... Is my clicker working? We'll get to the next slide. We're going to see that actually in this passage, we do have three kings. And what I want to do is just look at each of those kings in turn. So, first of all, the first king... I'll try again. No, not going to work. We'll just go from the back, please. Uh, The first king is pretty easy to spot, and it's King Herod. And I've called him this morning the king who knows nothing. Now, King Herod doesn't come off particularly well in this passage. We stopped reading early, um, but many of you will know, most of the boys and girls will know from EK, that later in the chapter, King Herod enacts an evil plan. And King Herod doesn't come off very well, but not just because of his evil plan. He also, in the way that Matthew writes about him, King Herod in this passage is actually a bit of a joke. When Matthew was writing about King Herod, uh, he was known to be not a very nice guy. We see that from the later in the chapter. He's not a very nice man. He was quite an arrogant man. People thought of him as quite lazy. He was probably quite fat. And he, he was a king who basically put himself first and others second. And Matthew wants us to see that. I wonder if you noticed as we read the chapter that King Herod never moves. So he starts in his palace in Jerusalem on his throne, and then verse 1, the major, they come to him. Verse 4, he calls all of his advisors to him. And then in verse 7, again, he calls the major back to him, and then he sends them out. So he just literally just sits for the whole of this story. He just sits in his chair. He thinks that he's in a position of power. He thinks that he's in control of the situation. He thinks that he knows everything. But actually, he knows nothing. He's a bit like uh, the Godfather. Mums and dads will recognise this picture from the Godfather. People come into his room and whisper in his ear. and He whispers back and tells them what to do. Now, kids, none of you will have seen The Godfather because it's an 18, so you should not have seen that film. But um, to, to kind of try and help you understand a little bit about what I'm talking about, I, I was thinking, if you were going to turn every character in the Bible story into a character from Star Wars, which isn't necessarily a good thing to do, but if, if you were going to do that, I wonder if you can think 
of who King Herod might be. He's this fat, lazy creature that, that sits in one place and all of the people come in and he sends his workers out to do what he wants for him. Anyone think? He's Jabba the Hutt, exactly. He's like Jabba the Hutt. And, and he, he, he just sits in one place and he thinks that he's in complete control. He thinks he knows everything that's going on. But actually, the joke is on King Herod. Just like in Star Wars, the joke is on Jabba the Hutt. He thinks he knows what's going on. He thinks he's got Han Solo trapped in carbonite. But actually, he doesn't really have any idea what's going on underneath his own nose. And King Herod is the same. So he, he's king of Jerusalem. He sits in his throne. He thinks he's in control of everything. He thinks he knows everything that's going on. But some strange men from the east turn up and have to tell him that a new king has been born right under his nose. Now, before we start to enjoy the joke at King Herod's expense too much, we need to stop and realise the whole message of the Bible is that actually we are just like King Herod. You see, we like to think that we're in control of our lives. We like to think that we're in charge, that we're the boss, that we know everything. But actually, the Bible says, really, we know barely anything. In fact, the heart of sin really is thinking that we know better than God. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that's what went wrong in the Garden of Eden, where the serpent, Satan, convinces Adam and Eve, maybe they do know a little bit better than God. Maybe they should eat that fruit. And we're just the same. We're like King Herod. We like to think that we're in control of our lives, that we are in charge, that we know everything. But then something happens that we weren't expecting, and we realise that actually we're not in control at all. We're not in charge. Really, we know nothing. Now, that's not a very cheery message for a Christmas Day morning service. I'm sure you came expecting something a little lighter. But that's fine, because there's two more kings that we need to meet. So... Second king, let's find out. The second king is the king who knows everything. So if King Herod is the king who knows nothing, then God, the Father, is the king who knows everything. I wonder if you noticed as we read, boys and girls, that verse 6 is written a little differently. It's written almost like, like poetry. That's because it's a quote from an Old Testament book, the book of Micah. And Matthew writes and basically explains that what Micah had written was actually coming true now. And actually the whole book of Matthew is packed full of prophecies and quotes and promises from the Old Testament. Uh, Boys and girls, you might have heard people say before that the book of Matthew we think was probably written for Jewish people. What we mean by that is he packs it full of Old Testament content, promises that God made, prophecies from prophets And Matthew is trying to say, look, everything that was written in the Old Testament is now coming true in Jesus. And that verse 6 in particular from the book of Micah, it was written about 700 years before this happened, before the birth of Jesus. Now, 700 years is a long time, and it's difficult to kind of wrap our heads around that. So to help you guys, here's a picture. We'll go to the next, yeah, here we go. Does anyone know who that is a picture of? Can anyone, anyone recognize that picture? Who do you think that is a picture of? Let's try Phoebe. It's William Shakespeare, exactly, it's William Shakespeare. Now, William Shakespeare is an old person. He existed a long time ago. Even then, William Shakespeare was alive around about 450 years ago. So if we think about 
Micah writing 700 years before Jesus comes and explaining where he will be born and who he will be, it's like us finding suddenly an undiscovered play or piece of paper written by William Shakespeare and telling us not who is the king or the prime minister now, but telling us who will be the king in 250 years' time and then that coming true. It's absolutely amazing that what Micah writes about comes true 700 years later. And the reason is because it wasn't really Micah writing, it was God through him. You see, Herod thinks he's in control. He sits in his palace in Jerusalem thinking, I know everything, I'm in charge. But in fact, God, the Father, had planned this 700 years earlier, even before. And it was all part of his plan. God really is in control. And because God is in control, God is in charge instead of Herod, Matthew is giving us a choice. We can be like Herod, we can continue to live as if we're in control and think, no, I'm in charge, I want to be the boss of my life. Or we can give control over to God. Now that is a really hard thing to do. It's really scary. And the reason it's scary is because part of us worries that God will be a king like King Herod. You know, we talked earlier about King Herod's reputation, that he was a lazy and arrogant king, that he was a king who put himself first and others last. And the the fear that all of us have is that if I give control of my life to God, then maybe God will be like King Herod. Maybe he'll do what's best for him and he'll put me last. Maybe it's better if I just do everything I can for me, make myself better, make myself number one, put myself at the centre. But that's not true, because God shows us what he is like through the third king. You see, God knows that our fear is that if we give him control, that he'll oppress us and he'll push us down and he'll put us last. And so what God does is he gives us another king underneath him, but over us, to show us what he will be like as a king. It's the third king in our passage. It's the king who gives everything. The king who gives everything. You see, God the Father is king of all. He's in sovereign control. He's in perfect charge of the whole universe, but he gives us another king in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6 again. It's that prophecy from Micah. And there's two words, boys and girls, in that verse, in verse 6, that show us the kind of king that Jesus will be. And they're not words that you would normally expect to be associated with a king, with royalty. Take a look, verse 6. We'll do, let's do hands up or you can shout out. Can anyone see what are the two words in verse 6 that tell us the kind of king that Jesus will be? Grown-ups can shout out too. Thomas. Shepherd. Exactly. Shepherd. And another one. Kimberly. Ruler. That's a good one, but that is, that is a word you'd normally associate with a king. What kind of ruler will he be, though? Caitlin, do you know? Not Prince of Peace. Good try. Any grown-ups help me out? I'll tell you. It's least. It's least. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least. You see, the, the problem is, Bethlehem was least. 
It was a tiny little backwater town. But when Micah wrote, he wrote to the town of Bethlehem and he says, look, you might think that you're small, you might think that you're weak, you might think that you're nothing, but one day my king will come from you. In other words, Jesus is not the kind of king who chooses to be born in a, in a palace. He's not the kind of king who clings to the throne like Herod, physically not moving himself from it. He's the kind of king who is willing to be born in a weak small little town because he has come for weak small little people and he comes as a shepherd we can get a picture of a shepherd up a shepherd is kind and compassionate to his sheep you know when micah was writing he actually writes about shepherds and he calls god's leaders the kings and the priests of the time shepherds but he says you are bad shepherds because 700 years earlier, when the priests were in charge, they basically were just like King Herod. They were doing a King Herod. They were putting themselves first and God's people last. So much so that what God says to them in the book of Micah is, he says, look, you're shepherd and you're supposed to be looking after my sheep, but instead you're killing them and eating them. They weren't really killing and eating the people, but the point was that they were putting themselves first and God's people last. They were grabbing everything for themselves, making themselves big, making themselves best, and oppressing God's people. And God says, I'm going to send a king who will be a good shepherd. I'm going to send a king who will be everything, and he will give everything for his people. Jesus himself, when he was an adult, said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the kind of king who will not oppress his people, who will not hurt his people, who will not trample them down to put himself first. He's the kind of king who loves his people and gives even his life for them. And if that's the kind of king that God sends, if that's the kind of king that God gives us, doesn't that mean that we should be free to give him control of our lives? Doesn't it mean that we don't need to be scared that if I let God take charge of my life that he'll oppress me, that he'll put me down, that he'll uh, bully me, that he'll take what's best for himself? No. God is the kind of king who gives everything and he's the kind of king who has given us Jesus.